Good morning, everyone. I apologize. The singing has got me a little verklempt this morning. <clears throat> and I actually am going to have my hydration station here next to me to help keep my vocal cords lubricated as we continue. Um, my name is Matthew. Most everybody who's probably watching today knows me. But if you do not, it's a, a pleasure for you to, uh, for me to be introduced to you. I'm Matthew Martinez, uh, the lead elder here at Capital City Church. My wife and I, Shannon, who is just singing next to me, are, are endeavoring to lead faithfully this church along with some other wonderful men and women who we call co-leaders. And uh, we're blessed to be part of such a wonderful faith community. And I, I had purpose this morning, just as a, before I actually begin, in, begin uh, with what I want to say, that I wanted to take a moment and just give a, a word of encouragement and really a, a commending of this faith community that is Capital City Church. Um, as Shannon and I have been connecting with people over the last few weeks and, and what is now almost a couple of months, believe it or not, um, as we've connected with FaceTime and Zoom and Skype and all the different ways um, that people are virtually connecting with each other, um, <clears throat> what we're encountering is is just this this kind of tapestry of stories of God's beautiful and wonderful and faithful provision in our lives in so many different ways. And I love the fact that Kevin just spoke of the financial provision that they have been experiencing as a family. And Shannon and I would have to attest to the same thing. And in such amazing ways, God is abundantly blessing us uh, personally and as a family, our children as well. But as we have been connecting with those of you who are part of our faith community, what we're hearing is that our story is not just our own, but that that God has been with his church. And so I want to just commend you all. And of course, we, we praise the Lord Jesus Christ for his faithfulness and for his provision. But there is also a part that we play in it as well. And I just want to say, as we have connected with you, what we're seeing is an increase in our faith community. We're seeing an increase in a faith-filledness. We're seeing an increase in a readiness and a desire to engage others with the gospel, to prepare yourself in this season with gospel readiness. We're seeing an increase in financial provision in people's lives. We're seeing an increase in radical generosity, church. The faithfulness of this community has been so wonderful to be at the helm of and to be able to see how you all are being faithful with your finances. It's such a blessing. And not even just faithful, but again, generous and above and beyond. We're seeing an increase in your consideration and your thoughtfulness towards one another. Being thinking of, concerned with, reaching out to, staying connected with. We're just hearing stories of people calling other people and out of the blue and just checking in and, and making sure they're okay and, and, and asking for ways that they can um, care for one another. In all of these things, I would say, church, we're rising to the occasion. We, you, you and I, we're rising to the occasion and the mandate as believers to live beyond the circumstance to live beyond the circumstance and to live faithfully and obediently to Christ. So again, I commend you all. Keep going. Do not stop. 
Do not get weary in doing good. Do not be weary in being faithful, but continue, continue, continue. And so that's just meant to encourage you all to continue. God is, is among us and with us, and he's doing great things. Over these last um, number of weeks, and, and as I said now, believe it or not, it's almost months, and it will be probably a few months by the time we are actually in, in the same uh, room together again. But over these last number of weeks, we as an elder team have been actually endeavoring to exploit our current cultural moment uh, as a gospel opportunity. And we've talked about this being that, a gospel opportunity. And rather than seeing it as just a trial as it has presented itself, we, we're endeavoring to exploit. And I use that word intentionally. And and in, and of course, you know, we're, we're here in... In America, in the uh, the kind of the bedrock for Western capitalism, and what's more capitalistic than a, a, a good exploitation for uh, you know for a righteous cause, if you will? And it's the good kind of exploiting, though, because what we've been endu- been, been endeavoring to do is is call our gaze upward rather than earth, earthbound. We, we're encouraging you and ourselves to cast your gaze upward towards Jesus Christ. To not be fixed on the earthly and on the temporal. And we've been doing that in a myriad of ways. And and Rick made this point, uh, or this was one of the points that he made in last week's overview of the book of Esther when he spoke on God's sovereignty and providence. And there's a text within Esther that we kind of gravitate towards often and it's it's Mordecai who says to Esther that who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this and that statement really summarizes so well what we as an elder team have been endeavoring to to point us towards or the path that we want to walk in during this time and so as we began we spoke on Christian discernment being necessary seeking to find God in our circumstance. And then we spoke on the certainty and the surety of God's nature and, and, and how God uses adversity to accomplish something that could be done no other way. And then we spoke on how God is sovereign in all things and how his reaching into mankind's stories throughout history is providence. That's what providence is. God reaching down into mankind's timeline and interjecting sovereignly according to his plan. And that's all despite what we think or what we see. And we spoke a couple of weeks ago, and I just, I loved the moment that we had with PJ sharing his, his kind of global word, if you will. And there is such a sense of unity of, of the Catholic church, not the Roman Catholic, but the church universal. There was such a beautiful picture of, of the Catholic church gathered together in one voice and, and in one purpose to see the gospel advanced globally. Brothers and sisters, we're connected to something that's so much bigger and greater than just this faith community here in the city of Sacramento. And it was a pleasure and a joy to be again, to, to have our hearts cast upward towards Christ and and, and an unanchored, uh, if you will, from this earth. And so we've covered quite a bit, I would say, over the last few weeks of good and fruitful ground. And so today, in keeping with this this 
upward and outward trajectory, what I'd like to do is I want to speak to you all today on something that I've entitled the remedy for our sickness. The remedy for our sickness. And again, I'm doing a little exploiting of our current circumstances in this. The remedy for our sickness. And, and um, I want to begin with something. If the gentlemen who are in the back would put up the, uh, the next point, I apologize to those of you who are sitting here that can't see it. And actually, I apologize to those of you who are looking at it. I saw this. Uh, this was actually shared to me by my wife. And it was a great meme. And so I wanted to share it with you just for a little bit of levity in the whole thing. Um, it's a, if you're looking at it now, it says, I'm no expert on COVID-19, but this is the cure. Right? You guys get that? Yeah. Some of you might get it. Some of you might not. That's a little bit of a harsh picture maybe to look at straight away in the morning. And maybe if you're coming in a little bit late, you just rolled out of bed. I want to apologize to you for having to look at Robert Smith so early. It's before noon. Uh, but I thought that was pretty funny, and like I said, it would be fun to interject a little bit of, uh, of levity. You know, when I'm speaking on, on the cure or the remedy for sickness, and um, I thought that was great. I hope you enjoyed it as well. There, I got a couple of laughs over here, so I think it's, it's probably going over really well. <laughs> Some people are really enjoying it. <clears throat> uh, I won't say any more. Um, as I was preparing for this morning... Without being kind of like a doomsdayer, I just had this sense that that God is not done yet in what he is wanting to do. And that might not be a really profound statement. Some of you are probably sensing the very same thing. Um, it, and it, because as I, as I looked around, despite all of, all of mankind's efforts right now to eradicate the sickness from the nations through lockdowns, um, through distancing, through... Um, you know, business closures and beach closures to all you OC County people. Uh, way to go. You got our beaches shut down. Um, thankfully, we don't have any here. But uh, yeah, through beach, through facial masks, you know, whatever the attempts are to eradicate this pandemic from really from the entire world, despite all of those things, we still haven't seen it unwind or wind down, if you will. Uh, as quickly as probably we had hoped to. And it left me thinking that in all of this, there's like the WHO is scrambling for a vaccine and and there's this uh, every attempt to produce some sort of remedy and to slow it, but none of it, at least at the moment, none of it seems to be doing what we all had hoped it would do in terms of just stalling this whole thing out and allowing us to kind of return to the sense of normalcy. And so in that, as I've... As, as again, as, as the question for a believer is to try to understand what is God doing, not why can't we go back to work or, or why can't we you know, do A, B, and C. As we endeavor as a Christian to determine what God are you doing, we have to arrive then at this conclusion at the moment that God is still in this. That God is still doing something in this moment. And so I was just anchoring my heart to that, not wanting to become disillusioned um, and, and tying it to what I want to say today. Uh, there is something that God is stirring in the church. Allow yourself to be stirred, brothers and sisters. Allow yourselves to be interrupted and allow yourselves to, to be set off track, if you will, from whatever course you had set right now over these last couple of months and maybe the next few months as you're trying to plan forward, allow those things to be held loosely and given 
into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I believe that God is doing something now, and he is still doing something. And, and it's not just going to wind down, and everything that we see, now really what we had hoped might be kind of the beginning of the end is really just the beginning of something new. In terms of the natural, what we hear is like, well, get ready, because this is just going to be probably something now different. And who knows if maybe some things that we call normal may even return. We don't know. That's not the point. But the point is to say, prepare yourselves now. Seek the heart of God now. Determine what God is doing and saying now. And in so doing, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves anchored and fixed in the surety of Christ. And that's not even what I wanted to talk about this morning. But it's still a good word. I felt like God is prolonging this moment. He's prolonging the moment because there's more that he wants to do. I read a quote this week in my studies in preparation for today, and it says this, No cure is possible for those who are convinced that they are not sick, for they believe that they have no need for a cure. No cure is possible for those who are convinced that they are not sick, for they have, for they believe they have no need of a cure. In 1906, an Irish immigrant by the name of Mary Mallon came to New York. She was working in New York for a number of years as a cook going from job to job, from house to house. And what they found is that every place that Mary Mallon went was left with these homes and these families being infected with a sickness called typhoid fever. And so in 1907, they took Mary Mallon and they put her in quarantine. And this was a real literal quarantine. Locked her down, I think it was in Rikers, if I'm not mistaken, or an island just off of New York. And there, doctors pleaded with her to allow them to remove her gallbladder because they had suspected that within her gallbladder lied the bacteria for typhoid. She refused on the basis that she was in disbelief that she was actually sick. And so they released her, and she spent the next five years working once again. Um, she changed her name so that she wouldn't be uh, suspected. And she went on, and what they found was the same thing. Long story short, they quarantined her. She spent the last 23 years of her life before dying, not of the sickness, but of other natural causes. She spent 23 years of her life in quarantine, and post-mortem uh, investigation, determined that her gallbladder did, in fact, contain the typhoid fever. We know Mary Mallon, now known as Typhoid Mary. She's suspected to have, she's credited at least with killing at least three people or associated with, you know, the death of uh, three people and potentially tens, and if not hundreds of more. It was so hard to track back then, especially as she changed her alias. But, the, the, but the, what was remarkable in the story is that Mary Mallon lived most of her life in disbelief and in disregard of the effects that her contamination was having. She spent most of her life in disbelief of the effects that the contamination that she had within her body was having on others. And what's, what's actually interesting is that when we think about that story, Throughout the world, right now at this moment, millions and millions of people are living their life as though they were asymptomatic of a sickness, when in reality, they are riddled with instability and infirmity. Like Mary, 
seemingly immune to the effects that their sickness has, when in reality it is killing them, literally and figuratively. Millions of people today are walking around as though they are not sick, when in fact they really are. And if there's one thing through all of this COVID media coverage, if there's one thing that the media is wanting to drill into each and every one of us, it's this. It's the idea that countless people believe that they are well when in fact they are not. Well, in opinion, they are not. They want us to believe, or at least that's what we're led to understand, that so many people are walking around believing that they are well when they are not. And the COVID conversation notwithstanding, what I want to say to you this morning is this statement, believe it or not, couldn't be more true. But not in the sense that the media is covering, but in the spiritual sense. The sickness isn't a virus. It's not a strain or a bacteria. Man-made? Yes, absolutely. Man-eradicated? Absolutely not. The sickness that I speak of, of course, you've undoubtedly already identified, and that is sin. It's sin. People are walking around in disbelief of the sin that is literally killing them. I thought of this statistic this week. This is an interesting statistic that I will give to you all. Sin is the number one cause of human deaths each and every year. There's a statistic for you. Sin is the silent killer. Sin is killing everybody. Every year, people die because of sin. That's a pretty good statistic, don't you think? But you don't find it at the top ten of any medical lists, do you? You don't find it there under heart disease or obesity or diabetes. No, no matter how hard you look, no medical record will indicate that sin is killing people because mankind is in disbelief, church. Mankind is in disbelief. Like typhoid Mary, believing that it is impervious to sin's existence and to sin's effects. The world is soul sick. That's what is happening. The world is soul sick. And it desperately needs healing. And this is precisely where God lies in all of today's circumstance. And I'm not just talking about physical healing as I'm going to get into here in a moment. Let's not limit that. Again, the world is soul sick. The world is sin sick. Mankind is riddled with the infirmity of sin and sin's effects and is leading people towards death each and every single day. For our text today, I want to begin. You can turn with me to Exodus at the end of chapter 15 of the book of Exodus. And I'll give you guys a minute and I'll give the kids a minute who are at their homes and they're looking for Exodus. Exodus is towards the beginning of the Bible. It's actually the second book of the Bible, spoiler alert. Exodus chapter 15, just following the amazing account of the provision of God for the people of Israel, parting and making a way through the Red Sea. And, and sparing them from Pharaoh. Israel, being led by Moses, the people of Israel, are led <clears throat> into the wilderness of Shur, Exodus 15 tells us. And here they begin to grumble to Moses. 
asking for drink, not being able to drink the water because of its bitterness. And again, we see here in this, what we're about to look at, that the Lord provides a way. And he tells Moses to take a log from a tree and to throw it into the water, thus making it sweet and able to be drink, drank, drunk, drink, drank, drink. Enabling it to be drinkable. <laughs> Put it in the, someone post it in the chat thing right now on YouTube, would you? What is, is, it, is it drunk? Past tense of drink? <clears throat> so let's look at this text together, beginning in verse 25. Exodus chapter 15, <clears throat> beginning in verse 25. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. And then he makes this statement. He reveals himself in such a way to the Israels in a way that they had not known him before. For I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palms and they encamped there by the water. In the Hebrew phrase, I am the Lord your healer, it is Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha is one of the many names by which the Lord makes himself known throughout the Old Testament. Turn with me to the book of Psalm, please. For most, it will be smack dab in the middle of your Bible. And look at Psalm 103. I am the Lord, your healer. I am the Lord, Jehovah, your healer, Rapha. Psalm 103, verse 2 through 4. Actually, let's just begin in verse 1. Oh, of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your disease. There it is again. Jehovah Rapha, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Notice how this time we see the Lord, he reveals himself as healer in Psalm 103, but notice how it is, it's, it's the broader implication, it's sandwiched in, be, in between and it admits so much more than just physical healing. In its pronouncement of the Lord as healer in Psalm 103, He's pulling back the covers on his plan for redemption of humanity when we look at it in the broad context of verses 2 through 5. What he's showing to us is a glimpse of what God intends to do for humanity because of its sickness and because of its ailments. And we can see now more broadly and clearly what this healing looks like. And to those who are blind to their sickness, much like Paul's argument would be in Romans chapter 3, that all have sinned. All have sinned. Psalms 103 is a revelation of the Lord as healer, and it simultaneously reveals to us both mankind's condition and God's intent and promise to remediate the sickness. 
Do you see what I'm saying there? The statement here in Psalm 103 is both a revelation of the condition of man's heart. Whether we're willing to admit it or not, as I just said, Paul's statement that all have sinned. From this basis, the supposition is then that God, that man needs to be healed. So Psalm 103 reveals both man's infirmity, but also, praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ, God's intent through Jesus to remediate man's illness and sickness. For after all, who needs a healer who isn't sick? And who needs a redeemer who isn't enslaved? And who needs to be forgiveness if if the thought is that no offense was made? See, healing here in Psalm 103 is not just simply for the physical or the natural ailments, ailments that the world would know. Sandwiched between the Lord who forgives and the Lord who redeems in Psalms 103 is the Lord who heals. He is Jehovah Rapha. And like the other revelations of God's nature within Scripture, we must remember that He doesn't just heal, but God is healing itself. Stop and think about that for a moment. Like love, like peace, like the other characteristics of God's nature that are revealed to us through Scripture in various ways, through creation, through Jesus Christ. They not only emanate from His being, but they originate from who He is. He is the source for healing. So when He says, I am the Lord, your healer, He is not promising nor stating his intent or desire to simply heal, but to know healing in its fullness and in its entirety. Church, this is a beautiful message in the face of these times that we live in today. He is the Lord. He is our healer. Therefore, to know God to encounter God, to receive new creation life is to know and to encounter healing. Now there's things to reconcile. Why then don't we see full healing? Why do we still suffer from physical ailments, emotional ailments and illnesses? Why is this Revelation of God as healer still incomplete in this life. And that's a question that we wrestle with. But it's not unlike our salvation experience and journey in its entirety, brothers and sisters. God as healer is no different as God as savior. Has he saved us completely? Yes, he has. Is salvation fully effective for our life? Yes, it is. But as we know, we're still walking that out every day by the grace of God. God's sovereignty has to be held in tension with our lives. And it's a difficult question and a difficult place to be, but it's the best place to be. And it doesn't change the fact that he is who he says that he is. This aspect of who he is doesn't simply end in the Old Testament either. As with with most and pretty much all Old Testament truths, they find their ultimate meaning in the New Testament revelation of Jesus Christ. 
We can look together and turn with me to Mark's gospel, chapter 2. Just again, we're, we're talking about Jesus uh, or the revelation of the Lord as healer in the Old Testament. Not just physical healer, total healer. Mark chapter 2. This is the New Testament children. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. We're looking at Mark chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 15. This is a wonderful revelation of, of a New Testament expression now of God's character and nature as healer. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. This is speaking of Jesus. This is just after Mark's account of Jesus having called Matthew or Levi, as, as he was formerly known. And as he reclined, speaking of Jesus, as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, and this is really where I want to focus, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call the righteous. Sorry, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came to call sinners. Here in this passage of Mark chapter 2, we see that Jesus inextricably ties sickness with sin. He ties wellness with salvation, righteousness, and a belief in him. How common it was, too, to see Jesus heal somebody, both physically as well as spiritually. And just the verses that, that preceded that in Mark chapter 2, the text uh, says that, that he... he um, sorry, let's just look at it. Maybe let's look at it together. I'm trying to find where he said it. Just prior, he says to this in verse 8, Why do you question these things? He's talking to the scoffing scribes and Pharisees. Why do you question these things in your hearts, having just healed a paralytic man? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your your bed and walk? In verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And so we see here, too, this tying of Jesus' earthly ministry of both healing and salvation, of of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus' healer, uh, tying both to the physical healing as well as the spiritual healing of the individual. I want to say this to you this morning. The mission of the kingdom of God through his gospel is the revelation of Jesus as healer. But healer in the broad, healer is in the healer of soul sickness, the healer of of men's souls from the effects of sin. That was the mission of the kingdom, to reveal Jesus Christ as the answer to sin, as the answer to man's sickness. He is, this passage of Mark, is often referred to Jesus as the great physician. 
He is the great physician who forgives, who heals, and redeems, as Psalm 103 reminds us. The one who crowns, who satisfies, who renews. Through Jesus, we see God as Jehovah Rapha in its ultimate and pinnacle state. Jesus Christ, healing of the nations. Jesus Christ, our great healer and redeemer. So thinking of this kind of issue of of man's soul sickness, naturally speaking, what effects do we experience when we're sick? What does sickness do to us physically? Sickness immobilizes us. Sickness distracts us. It hinders us. And oftentimes it even kills and brings death. The sickness of sin that the world suffers from, brothers and sisters, does those very same things. Sin distracts. Sin hinders. Sin disillusions people. Sin immobilizes people. And sin ultimately kills and leads to death. I was reading just this week a a story from years ago. There was a a, a prominent Australian uh, worship leader he was in a, a real prominent church. He was a songwriter. And in fact, we've sung some of his songs before. And there was a story where he became so sick because of the sin that riddled his body. He literally was losing his hair and was suffering from intense abdominal pains for years. See, we think oftentimes that sin is just simply something that we struggle with. But I'm telling you, sin's effect on the natural man is so great at times that it literally causes someone to lose their hair and to suffer from what they thought originally. He thought that maybe he had cancer and realized that he didn't have any sickness. And it's a very sad story. But the point is just to say that sin is a, sin's effects on our body is something that's so greater than just an issue that oftentimes that we struggle with. Sin immobilizes us. Sin can bind us. It, it, it hinders us, of course, from, from moving about. And this is what the world is sick with, you guys. The world is full of sin-filled people who live each day believing and living as though they are in asymptomatic when in fact they are not. Whose lives, whether physical or emotional, are bearing the effects of the weight of sin. But praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where we have to anchor our hearts this morning. Because whether we need to experience and walk in and understand and to know God as healer for us as believers or if we need to anchor ourselves in the message of hope that is Jesus Christ, your healer for the unbeliever. It doesn't matter. This is where we place ourselves this morning. Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ, who through his death on the cross, defeated and conquered sin. And brought restoration, and brought wholeness and wellness, and healing in its totality. To our lives. Praise be to the Lord God that we can experience what He has done through the cross. First Peter 
2.24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. How have I been healed? In every sense of the word. Why don't I experience it fully? I don't know, but God does. And God has you. And God wants you to know him as healer because he is such. It's not that he just does, but that he is. So again, to know him is to know him as the God who heals. But we have to also trust him in the process and in the progress. Remember, perfection is not promised now. Perfection is only promised then. We look to that eagerly. So as God allows the COVID to run its course in the world through systems of government, through global alliances, through trade agreements, local and national economies, emotional and physical ailments, let's remember that it is God who is using all of this to call people to know him as the great physician. I want to end with just this encouragement today as it pertains to what God has done for mankind through Jesus Christ. There's so much talk about the need for a COVID vaccine as well as the need for, we hear a lot about herd immunity. There's so many things that all, so many um, phrases I'm going to be so glad to not have to listen to or to hear people talk about physical distancing, social distancing, blah, 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 herd immunity, you know, whatever it is. It's like, oh, give me a break from it for a little while. But in all this talk, there's so much um, discussion of the need for a vaccine. To make something immune is to protect or to make something exempt and resistant to a particular infection or toxin. That's what the natural world right now is looking to do, to make us immune. They want to make us, they want to make us protectant or exempt and or resistant to a particular infection or toxin. The new creation life of the believer says this, that through Christ we are given, through Christ and the new life that we are given and the new life that we live in, which is new creation life, within us is the spiritual immunization to sin's effect on our life. Think about this for a moment. By grace, we are now resistant to sin's toxicity. And that grace that dwells within us is the antibody which fights the barrage of toxins. Think about it. Again, this is what the earth, the world is pursuing right now. This is what the world is pursuing right now at this time. But the hope and the message of the believer is that through Christ Jesus, this real, the ultimate vaccine has already been given to us. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ imparted into our, li- into our bodies uh, of sin, into our flesh in mortal man, that fights off sin's effects, that fights off and, and produces a resistance to sin's effects on our life. And the body of Christ that is his church is the herd by whom we're constantly presented with a reminder of what God has done for us. 
See, we've been given so much in this life which we're called to faithfully live. Let's not waste a moment of it, brothers and sisters. Let's not waste a moment of it. I'm just drawing an analogy between the Christian life and between the cry of the natural man in this world right now. Sometimes the gospel is so evidently and wonderfully presented when we can take a pain point and we can connect it to the gospel. That's what I'm doing today. The gospel presentation doesn't have to be, we've said this, a, like a slick ten point, like bum, 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 bum. No, it's like, listen, you know the world is searching for a vaccine. Let me talk to you about the greatest immunization that could have ever taken place in the world. You don't even realize how sick you are. Let me tell you about the great healer and the great physician who's come to this earth to bring emotional wellness to physical stability, etc. Let's not waste a moment of this, brothers and sisters. I heard um, a a quote this week. uh, There's a Canadian astronaut by the name of Chris Hadfield, and he said this, and I I just loved it. He's talking about space. I was watching one of those infomercials for the master class. I don't know if you've seen those. They look tremendously fantastic. But I was watching this uh, Canadian astronaut, Chris Hadfield, speak on space. And he says this, he, he made this comment, the more you know, the less you fear. The more you know, the less you fear. And of course, he's talking about stepping outside of the, uh, the space shuttle and into the, into the darkness of space, you know. But I just thought as a general statement, as to the life of a believer, our eyes have been opened to so much so that moments like these when we, especially as we've reminded ourselves of God's sovereignty and God's providence, in moments like these, we have nothing to fear, brothers and sisters. And not only do we have nothing to fear, but we should have all courage and such a sense of hope in light of the circumstance. We have nothing to fear. The more you know, the less you fear. Is that not the truth when it comes to this life, regardless of the circumstance that befall us? When we consider the breadth and the wonder of what God has done through us, through Jesus Christ, this is truly the case. There is no fear in this life, for Christ is in all and above all things. And I just want to leave you with a stanza from a song that we have so sung for, for many years. It's been such an encouragement. And put the words up, if you would, please, on the screen. I'm just going to read it, and you can worship in your own hearts to this idea that the more you know, the less you fear, for God is in control of all things. And it says this, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here, say this with me, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. I want to just call you today to a place of faith, to a place of hope. And because we, 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 we value and we desire to uh, call you to respond to the word of God. I want to ask you to do this this morning. Within this breath of God as healer, it's a spectrum where we find ourselves today in various places of needing to experience 
God is healer. Again, whether it's a physical ailment that you suffer from, or, or whether it's, it's a, an emotional sickness that you or a family member suffers from, or whether it's just needing to be reminded of the hope that is Jehovah Rapha, that is the message of the gospel of Jesus, the great physician. Wherever you find yourself on the spectrum, I want to encourage you and call you to respond today. In a moment, I'm going to ask Kevin to come up and just close our meeting. But before I do that, I want to ask you to take the moments that directly follow this time of worship and to engage with each other or if you're alone to engage with the Lord on behalf of yourself where do you need to know God as healer where do you need to experience God as healer where do you need to offer and to take in faith unto the Lord the areas of sickness be it literal or figurative What sicknesses do you need to bring to the Lord this morning? I implore you, on behalf of the hope of the gospel, on behalf of the message that we carry around as ambassadors, reconcile yourselves to this reality, that Jesus Christ is the great physician who desires for you to know healing. And for those who are sick, who have faithfully prayed over and over and over again, I want to take a moment and just pray for you again. There's many within our body whom we pray for regularly. And it's not an issue of faith. And it's not an issue of you knowing. It's an issue of God's sovereignty. It's an issue of God's choice. And we want to engage just collectively in faith. So I want to pray for you right now. And then, Kev, I'm going to ask you to come up and you can close us in this time. Would you please just engage with me right now where you are on behalf of those who are sick Take a moment and think of someone that you know who is suffering from a sickness. And let's just position ourselves in faith right now on their behalf. Lord Almighty, creator of the heavens and earth, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-able, all-sufficient, we beseech you on behalf of those who are sick within our body, on behalf of those who suffer, Lord God, who have suffered for so long. We ask you, Lord, for healing in the name of Jesus, for figured, for, for literal physical healing in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for the things that are out of place, for the, the sicknesses that indwell us, for the muscles that are disjointed, for the ligaments, for the bones, for the organs, Lord, whatever it may be that suffers from the, in the flesh because of sin's effects on our life, Lord God. We pray for your divine and sovereign healing right now. Spirit of God, fill bodies, fill minds, fill hearts, Lord. Heal the emotionally sick, Lord God. Heal those who suffer from depression, Lord, I pray. Heal those who suffer from anxiety, from bouts of panic, Lord God. Heal those who suffer, Lord Jesus, from schizophrenia, from bipolar disorder. Heal the sick, Lord Jesus. Reveal yourself to them, I pray, in your mighty name. Restore them for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Restore them, Lord, as a, that they might be an example of praise unto you. We cry out to you, Lord. 
We're desperate to see you move in such a way. We know and we believe, Lord God, that you can heal today and that you do heal. We pray now on behalf of them, on those who are sick, Lord, heal them in your mighty name. May we be used as instruments and dispensers of grace as you call us in Jesus' name. Father, we love you. Amen.